Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Welcome into Outkick the Show. I am your fearless leader, Clay Travis. I hope all of you had fantastic weekends. I hope you enjoyed the fade yesterday with Todd Furman as we broke down the new season of Cheer, as we talked about uh, the Scream movies and also Dawson's Creek, in addition to giving you, might I add, two winners last night. The under hit and uh, the LA Rams also won. And now we are set with eight different playoff teams. In the NFL, I'll be going to the divisional round playoff game here in my hometown of Nashville on Saturday afternoon as the Titans are taking in the, on the Bengals. I'll give you my early read here momentarily. But first, right off the top, if you are in New York, we have got a free $50 bet win for everybody out there who decides to jump on board the Spread the Love train. Uh, The Knicks, you can't even lose money on the Knicks. FanDuel.com slash Clay. That is FanDuel.com slash Clay. Go get signed up today. Make sure that you do it. FanDuel.com slash Clay. All right, here are the numbers on the Elite Eight, if you want to call them that, of the NFL franchises that are still remaining for the divisional round playoff games. The Titans right now are a three and a half point uh, favorite over the Cincinnati Bengals. I like the Titans. I think the Titans are going to win this game by double digits. Uh, I'll break down my rationale as we move on, but an early uh, read on that. Mike Vrabel is 8-0 with the Titans when his team has extra time to get ready. Uh, They are going to have had 13 days off since locking up the overall number one seed. I think the Titans will handle the Bengals. Uh, 49ers on the road against the Packers. I'm going to be on the Packers here. I think the Packers get some revenge against the 49ers. That is the Saturday night game at Lambeau up in Wisconsin. Uh, the Rams are a three-point underdog against the Bucks. I think I'm going to go with the Rams here. I do think that I am going to go with the Rams as the road underdog. And then I like the Chiefs to take care of the Bills. The Chiefs are a two and a half point favorite in uh, this scenario. All right, we got a bunch of big stories to get into. I want to start with some data that I think is really significant. Uh, so there's the NFL playoff breakdown for you. Big win, by the way. Matthew Stafford gets the first win of his NFL career in the playoffs. He had been 0 3 to that point with the Detroit Lions. Gets an easy win over Kyler Murray, who was not very good, and uh, the Arizona Cardinals, who faded fast over the course of the season. Uh, And as a result, props to uh, the trade there that got Jared Goff to the Lions and got Matthew Stafford to the Rams. I think Matthew Stafford and the Rams advance to the NFC Championship game. I think they pull off the upset over the Bucs. I really do in Tampa this coming weekend on Sunday. But... A lot of people out there have said, hey, Clay, how did you end up talking about COVID so much? Um, And one answer is because of how much it was directly connected to sports. And for those of you who are long-term fans of me or OutKick, 
you know that in March and April and May and on into June, I didn't miss a day of my daily sports talk radio show even though sports were shut down and there was virtually nothing going on with them, I still showed up and did three hours of daily radio talking about COVID, ways to find ways to play sports, all the different storylines that were attributed there. And one of the interesting parts of the sports intersection with the world of COVID is we have got really good data coming out of the sports leagues because the players are relatively small subset of Americans and because they're being tested all the time. So we end up with somewhat reliable data. Now, it is a small subset of the larger American population but I do think it's worthwhile in discussing. And today the NHL came out with their data and I want to talk about this because I think it tells a pretty intriguing story. The NHL rosters as well as the coaches and the players and everybody else that is affiliated with the players uh, the training staff, everybody else everybody was vaccinated in the NHL. Because of the Canadian situation the NHL had essentially a 100% COVID vaccination rate. Well the NHL just came out and said that despite 100% of the players being vaccinated 73% of the league's rosters had tested positive for COVID this season including 60% who have tested positive in the last five weeks. So, despite the fact that we have a 100% vaccination rate with NHL players and granted NHL players are a younger and healthier subset of the larger American populace but even with a 100% vaccination rate for NHL players 73% of those players still tested positive for COVID. And so this is really significant. All right, This is really significant because what it shows us is beyond a shadow of a doubt what Joe Biden and Dr. Fauci and Rochelle Walensky at the CDC what they have tried to sell us is this massive difference between vaccinated and unvaccinated. And in fact, what they have said for months now is if everybody were vaccinated, COVID would go away. But that's not true at all because we have a 100% vaccination rate in the NHL, young and healthy athletes who are under no risk from COVID and yet they still have ended up 73% of them testing positive for COVID. Already, we're only halfway through the NHL season. So, What I believe becomes significant there is there's no benefit whatsoever to young healthy athletes having even gotten gotten the COVID shot. Why? Why is that? Because if they are still going to get COVID and if they are still going to spread COVID what benefit at all did NBA, NHL, and, and NFL players not to mention all the college kids actually receive from the COVID shot. Particularly because even the CEO of Pfizer himself now says that there's limited if any protection for the first two shots from COVID vaccine against the Omicron variant. In fact, the data out of Israel reflects that even after four shots even after four shots in Israel still limited to no protection from Omicron from the COVID vaccine. 
Well, I don't know about you, but if you give somebody four shots in a year and tell them it will protect them against COVID and then they still get COVID, that's not a vaccine. Sorry, that's not a vaccine. If you or I had gotten the measles vaccine and then we had tested positive for measles after getting four shots for it, I think a lot of us would say, wait a minute, that measles vaccine really didn't do a lot of good for me, yet somehow you're not allowed to say this about the COVID shot. Uh, It's crazy. It's crazy. It's ridiculous. It's an upside-down world that we live in. Uh, And I want to give a shout-out to some... I, I really wonder, I mean, legitimately, are people who are like die in the wool, die hard Fauci advocates, Rochelle Walensky advocates, Joe Biden's COVID response advocates, do they actually look at any of the data? And if so, how is it that they continue to carry water for these people who have been wrong about virtually everything for two years? And I think it ties in. Uh, we had the Supreme Court oral arguments about whether or not the COVID vaccine mandate, Joe Biden's COVID vaccine mandate, was legal or not. You know, we had that big discussion. We had that big uh, debate. And uh, thankfully, the Supreme Court at least struck it down in terms of the mandate under OSHA for 84 million people out there. Two out of three of every American worker, they struck it down. But they still allowed it for healthcare workers, which I think is wrong. But it was noted during those oral arguments that Justice Gorsuch was not wearing a mask. It was also noted that all of the Supreme Court justices are double vaccinated and they also have been boosted. So Sonia Sotomayor, Supreme Court Justice, who said that there were 100,000 kids currently dealing with COVID, many of them on ventilators, totally wrong. No scientific basis whatsoever. No factual basis to support that. She is double vaccinated and she is boosted Yet she is too afraid to sit next to Justice Gorsuch unless he wears a mask. Well, he refused to wear a mask and so she wouldn't show up in person for the oral arguments. Isn't that a clear sign that Justice Sotomayor knows that the vaccines don't work that well? Because if you're double booster, double vaxxed and you have a booster, you're not only willing to acknowledge that the vaccines don't work, But you're putting an awful lot of faith in a mask to protect you even though we all know that the cloth masks that the uh, Supreme Court justices were wearing are, based on the data, virtually worthless. And I I didn't set out to be the most sane man in media. It's just where I have ended up because everyone else has gone so insane that I've ended up here by sitting here talking to you already had COVID twice, already recovered from COVID with no issues, both in November of 2020 and just last week I tested positive for COVID, probably the Omicron version since it's a 99% variant that is flooding around right now and also because I already had COVID before. So the overwhelming data would suggest that I had the Omicron version kicked its ass. I'm 2-0, no issues, didn't need to be ventilated, didn't need to be hospitalized. I know I upset the blue check brigades, but I actually give credit to Justice Gorsuch for recognizing that masks actually make no discernible difference 
and that he's not going to wear one when he's already been double-vaxxed and also been uh, boosted. He's actually making the most rational decision of anyone on the entire Supreme Court. All right, do you see the Golden State Warrior? Um, uh, the Golden State Warrior owner, I think he owns 10% of the team, guy by the last name of Chamath, Chamath, I'm not sure exactly how you pronounce his last name. He said in an interview that he doesn't care at all about, uh, about the uh, genocide going on in China. Now, I think what he said is actually what the vast majority of NBA players and coaches and owners believe and certainly what the league believes as well. Just doesn't care. I don't care about genocide. It's not happening right in front of me. I don't care. Okay, well, it's a bad look in general because you can easily uh, extrapolate that historically and there are many awful genocides that have occurred all around the world and at a bare minimum, you should care and condemn them because you are in favor of basic human rights around the world. Now, the degree to which you take action for a foreign uh, government's genocide is different. My personal opinion is, for instance, we shouldn't be going to Beijing and bowing down to China for the, war, uh, for the Winter Olympics. Personally, that's what I believe. I don't think that America or other Western democracies should be allowing Beijing to host the Winter Olympics given that China lied about COVID, they spread COVID around the world partly as a result of their lies and why in the world should we show up and honor China by giving them the opportunity to host the Winter Olympics? Not to mention the genocide that's going on there against the religious uh, Uyghur minority population. Uh, There are many different issues with it in the NBA. Most prominent, let me tell you this one, there are a couple of different Chinese shoe companies which the Uyghurs aren't just being uh, uh, treated in a genocidal manner. They are also being treated as slaves and forced to pick cotton on slave plantations. This is true, okay? That cotton is then used by many different manufacturers to produce their product. Not surprisingly, slave labor cotton is cheaper than cotton that is produced by paying people wages. Two different Chinese sneaker companies actually said we are going to make sure that we use slave labor produced sneakers and oh by the way those tennis shoes are being used to play NBA games by NBA players who have Chinese sneaker deals. Think about that for a minute. Supposedly the social justice warrior woke-laden NBA actually has players endorsing slave labor-produced tennis shoes. These millionaire basketball players are pocketing millions of additional dollars based on the slave labor of Uyghur genocide uh, populations. I mean, this is wild, okay? Nobody in the NBA media asks questions about it. Adam Silver doesn't discuss it. No coaches will discuss it. Well, now you've got an owner. Again, I believe that he owns 10% of the team speaking out and saying, I don't care about genocide in China. He actually said, it's below my level of care. That's direct quote, basically. Okay, you can go watch the video for yourself. But nobody in the media, 
Nobody in uh, the woke NBA hierarchy, none of them are actually saying anything to condemn these comments. And ESPN, which is in the NBA's back pocket and only covers stories that benefit their political narrative, has not and will not actually cover this story, which is an insane embarrassment for anybody who covers uh, cares about real journalism. And everybody employed at ESPN is just pretending this story didn't happen. They're memory-holing it. It is an abject failure and everyone should be speaking out about this. As I've said for a while now, the NBA gets offended if its players or coaches are told to shut up and dribble unless it's China telling them to shut up and dribble and then they say, how high do you want us to dribble? And otherwise, they shut up and dribble for their communist dictatorship bosses. It's an embarrassment. Um, Speaking of an embarrassment, I was talking about this situation going on right now in the Senate this week. We've got 7% inflation. We've got a supply chain crisis which is crippling many of our abilities to go out and buy necessary goods. We've got a border that is an absolute sieve. We've got all-time highs in COVID infections and hospitalizations. We have got uh, a total collapse that is occurring in many different parts of American life. We've got the Afghanistan disaster, geopolitical tensions with Ukraine and with China surrounding Taiwan and, uh, and Ukraine with both China and with Russia. And what is the United States government focused on? They are focused on a voting rights bill that is not going to pass and also they are focused on trying to change the word, uh, the, 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 the filibuster even though that clearly is not going to pass either. So we have a strange kabuki theater-like charade going on all week long where everybody shows up, where they make speeches and we already know how the story ends. So instead of focusing on all of the things that are going wrong, the Bidus touch, 33% approval rating according to Quinnipiac's most recent poll, a disaster in virtually every direction, Joe Biden is deciding to spend a week trying to muscle through a policy that has no chance whatsoever of passing because at least two of his own senators, Senator Kirsten Sinema of Arizona and Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia have both said they won't vote to change the filibuster rules. Which brings me to another aspect of this story. Nick Saban said that he supports a voting rights bill in a letter that he signed addressed to Joe Manchin. He said in a footnote that he does not support actually changing the filibuster rules which means that his position is the exact same essentially as Joe Manchin. Uh, Why Nick Saban has decided to weigh in suddenly on this political issue I have no idea but it is instructive that despite not covering a single bit of the comments from the Warriors owner as it pertains to genocide, ESPN has as one of their lead stories Nick Saban commenting on the voting rights bill and also the filibuster. Now, this is an example of 
what goes on in far left-wing sports media. When an athlete speaks out in a way that you believe supports your own political beliefs, then you cover it and you give it a great deal of oxygen and you treat it as a legitimate story. Compare Nick Saban signing his name on a letter, which is a relatively small level action, with an owner of the Golden State Warriors saying he does not care about genocide. ESPN is treating the Nick Saban letter as a major news story. They are not in any way covering the Golden State Warriors owner who has decided to say that he doesn't think genocide matters. Which of these stories in the grand scheme of things is more significant? Remember, the NBA kicked Donald Sterling out of the league for comments that he made outside of his job that they found unacceptable as it pertained to who went to his games. They are allowing Chamath to say that he doesn't even care about genocide in China at all with no consequences. This is what you call a failure of principle and a failure of precedent. People get mad at me. But every single argument that I make, I think about in the context of prior arguments that I have made, much like a judge must do. You can't just go off willy-nilly throwing out an opinion and then not have that opinion line up in a philosophical basis with other precedents that you have given in the past. I think about every opinion that I have ever given on any subject under the sun as the equivalent of a judge. I am in the opinion business. My opinions are only as good as they can be based on the facts underlying them and the consistency that supports those opinions. If one day I said, hey, I think that this team should get the death penalty because they gave a player $5,000 outside of NCAA rules and then the exact same thing happened with another team and I said, well, I don't think anything at all should happen to that team, that would be inconsistent hypocrisy. And everyone who saw that should trust me less because on the one hand, I'll say, hey, I support this. On the other hand, I'll say, hey, this is a really serious penalty and there have to be significant consequences. If you are not consistent in your principles, then your precedents crumble. What is going on in much of America and sports is an interesting window into this is there are no underlying principles. That's how Senator Chuck Schumer can defend the filibuster to the last breath of his ability as he recently did when his party was in the minority and now argue that if the filibuster isn't removed that American democracy is in peril. Well, how can you talk out of both sides of your mouth? I can't trust you if you tell me that the filibuster has to be preserved in order to ensure that American democracy survives when your party is in the minority position in the Senate. And then when you suddenly get the majority, and really it's not even a majority, it's just a tie-breaking vote in a 50-50 Senate, you tell me that democracy will collapse unless you are able to change the voting bills. Now, I got to tell you something. I voted everywhere, uh, all over the place in my life, right? Uh, In the state of Tennessee. 
I've lived in inner city neighborhoods where I was pretty much the only white person walking in to vote at a precinct and I've lived in where I live now a suburban neighborhood where everybody who goes to vote just about in my neighborhood now is white. I've lived in inner city neighborhoods and I've lived in suburban neighborhoods. I've never had any issue at all with voting. It's always been incredibly easy for me to vote. I can't speak for everybody in the entire country but I can speak to a major metropolitan city like Nashville. I can speak to the ease with which I voted in an inner city neighborhood where I was one of the only white voters and I can also speak to the ease with which I voted in a suburban neighborhood where everybody around me pretty wealthy, all right? Lots of white people, lots of rich white people. Equally easy in an inner city precinct in Nashville and a suburban precinct in Nashville. Who are the people that aren't able to vote? Who are the people that are not able to get out and vote now that really want to vote? I just, I don't even understand who those people could be. Voting is not difficult to do in this country. Moreover, let me just follow through on this. I don't understand how it's racist to require a voter ID card because that ID card can just be a driver's license, it can just be a social security card, there's any number of cards that you can have. When the same people are arguing that it's racist to need a voter ID card, even though overwhelming majorities of white, black, Asian, and Hispanic people support the idea of voter ID cards, of ID being required to vote, the same people are arguing to me that it is incumbent upon it, upon me, that I need to have my vaccine card to be able to go in and buy a Big Mac at McDonald's. How is it that you can have to provide ID to get a Big Mac to take your kids to get some Chicken McNuggets but it's okay to require that even though it's totally anti-science and illogical and makes no sense because we know the vaccines still allow you to get and spread COVID. How is it possible that you need an ID to go to a restaurant, bar, gym, or sporting event but you're not allowed to ask for an ID for voting? Doesn't add up to me. Doesn't add up to me at all. In fact, if you were asking people, I think the vast majority of Americans would say, hey, should you have to show an ID to go to a fast food restaurant in America or to cast a ballot? I think almost everyone would agree with me that if you had to pick one of those two it would make sense to show an ID to vote not to make sense to go to McDonald's. Yet Democrats are right now arguing it makes sense for you to have to show an ID to go to McDonald's but it doesn't make sense for you to show an ID to have to vote. It just doesn't make logical sense to me at all. This is a failure. I am arguing for sanity in an insane world and every day the world becomes more and more insane. I don't know how I end up Uh, how I end up I I just look more and more sane every day as the rest of the world looks more insane finally did you see Darren Ravel? oh my god my poor guy Darren I really do think that COVID has broken him Um, if you didn't see it Darren Ravel was bragging about his collection of uh, of, uh, and this is absurd he was bragging about his collection of MLK Martin Luther King memorabilia and so I don't even understand how he decided that Martin Luther King Day was the right day for him to be bragging about his collection of MLK material 
but he actually tweeted out one of the most cringeworthy things even for Darren Ravel. He tweeted, calling me a racist is cute on this day especially. I have one of the largest Martin Luther King Jr. collections in the world and some of my closest friends are black. He capitalized black just to make sure that you know that he's woke. Um, uh, I mean, like I said, that might be Darren Ravel's Twitter Mona Melissa uh, hanging in the loo. But the larger issue here is a lot of people have gone insane since March of 2020. I am totally rational, totally logical. You can agree or disagree with me but I base every argument that I make in facts. A lot of people who are emotion-based have lost their minds and don't even realize how ridiculous they sound. I don't think Darren Ravel should get canceled. He was trending like crazy, ridiculed to the high heavens. I think he's an absurd, ridiculous person but I think he's mostly well-meaning but I do think that COVID has broken him and I think it has broken a lot of people out there who are not able to emotionally uh, cope with danger and do a poor job of analyzing risk. And look, the reality has been the same since March of 2020. I set down my kids at the kitchen table and I said, based on all the data that is out there, we are fortunate kids are not in danger. Okay? You're going to be fine. I'm going to tell you exactly what the data reflects. And I said that to my parents and I said that to my wife and we've had real conversations about it. My parents are over 75 years old. Their risk factors are substantially above mine. Last week, I had COVID and the Omicron version of COVID. I told my parents, hey, I'd love to see you. Don't come by the house. Don't come into the house. Even though you're double vaxxed and even though you are boosted, it's not going to protect you against Omicron. You're over 75 years old. I'd prefer that you not get this and I certainly would prefer that you not get this from me. And so, hyper-rationality, look at who's at risk, make health decisions that are smart for you and your family, but do not allow the fears of others to cancel your freedoms. I am very confident that everything that I have said all the way back to the one flaw that I followed was I trusted some of the early fatality data out of China. Other than that, which I said, hey, I got this wrong, that was on me in March of 2020. Everything I have said since mid-April, early April of 2020 has ended up being right. We should have never shut down schools. Cloth masks make no sense. The social distancing rules make no sense. There's no reason why anyone has to wear a mask on an airplane. We need to get back to normalcy. We got to play the college football season. We got to play sports seasons in general. Kids should be able to go to high school extracurricular activities whether it's band or drama or, uh, or, or football, whatever it is. All of those things have been proven based on the data to have been 100% correct and that is why OutKick's audience has continued to skyrocket all throughout the last couple of years. I appreciate all of you. My name is Clay Travis. DBAP, unless you need to SBAP. Get your bets in. Free money, $50 for all New Yorkers if you go to fanduel.com slash Clay. This has been OutKick, the show.